What's the highest calling in life? What's the most challenging thing you can dedicate your career to? For me, it's entrepreneurs creating jobs. And having a job provides structure, purpose, and fulfillment. That is why we do this show. However, I have always had a respect for those that can get up in front of a room of people and make them laugh. It's a real skill. And of course, ironically, a court jester is perhaps one of the oldest jobs that exists. The business of comedy and entertainment is changing rapidly, and it's something we love exploring on this show. We'll be looking at how you can combine the worlds of business, comedy, and politics through a series of live shows coming in the autumn. Remember to subscribe to our email newsletter to find out more. That is the Substack link in the show notes below. Today's guest is James Gill, the founder of Always Be Comedy, known fondly in the industry as ABC. Always Be Comedy is this multi-award winning comedy night where the likes of Kevin Bridges, Sarah Pascoe, Ramesh Ranganathan. The reason why I'm naming all these names is because I think punters turn up here expecting to be blown away by like the, the glamour of Wembley and they walk into what is the room above a pub. But the business of comedy is much more than that. So we are here four, five, maybe some weeks, even six times a week. I do that, I write on some TV shows, I warm up on some TV shows. If I'm not working, I, I feel like this pang of guilt. I've earned this hairline. While many believe comedy success comes from sold out arenas and constant TV gigs, James proves there's more to it. James represents a backbone of the industry. And today we deep dive into the business of comedy. James, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. I feel like I'm on uh, Zach Galifianakis's Between Two Ferns. I'm just about, I'm just about making out through the foliage. <laughs> I've never done an interview in a hedge before, but uh, <laughs> from I'm here for it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I also think it might be the first James that we've had about the show. First Jimmy. Why did you, why did you not go with calling yourself Jimmy? Do you know what? My mum would be furious. So if someone called me Jim or Jimmy as a kid, she would always go, Sorry for banging that glass. She would always go, his name is James, actually. <laughs> and uh, I suppose I never would upset my mum. I, I, I sometimes I get a pang for a, a Jim or a Jimmy. And occasionally I will get a, a, a Jimmy. And I, I don't mind it. But I've always stuck with James. Um, I reckon my mum will listen to this as well. So she'll be delighted that I've revealed why I've always, <laughs> why I've always stood by James. Um, you, by the way, if you call me Jimmy, I would never say, my name is James. <laughs> and I've got my mum on speed dial. Jimmy, Jimmy Gill. So, yeah, sounds, Jimmy Gill sounds all right, I reckon. Yeah. So, I'm sort of in it now, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so what's, what's your job? Jesus wept. <laughs> my wife would say, what isn't? Because I've sort of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're here at Always Be Comedy. So Always Be Comedy is a room above a pub. Uh, the pub is the Tommy Field in Kennington. Now, Always Be Comedy... Sort of not for me to say this, but I, I, I will. <laughs> Always become this multi-award-winning comedy night where the likes of Kevin Bridges, Stuart Lee, Harry Hill, Sarah Pascoe, Ramesh Ranganathan, Ashling B, Brett Goldstein, on and on and on and on. You know, in the past couple of weeks alone, we've had, we've had Acast for a couple of times, Stuart Lee a couple of times. Stuart Lee's back here tomorrow. You know, Sarah Pascoe's been here twice in the past week and a bit. Brett Goldstein, two-time Emmy winner, has been here twice in the past week. The reason why I'm naming all these names is because I think punters turn up here expecting to be blown away by like the, the glamour of Wembley and they walk into what is, you know, let's face it, a very small room. Um, so we, we are here four, five, 
you know, maybe some weeks, even six times a week, we, we just put on as many shows as we, as we can. So I launched this night 12 years ago. I, I, I also MC the night. I mean, it's, a, it's an absolute labor of love. I've earned this yeah. hairline. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I do that. I write on some TV shows. I warm up on some TV shows. Uh, so I, I, I sort of, I always, I don't know about you, if I'm not working, I, I feel like this pang of oh. guilt. You know, James, uh, James Gilt, I should, I, that's what, forget, Jimmy Gilt, that should be the new, <laughs> Jimmy Gilt. That's the new show, isn't it? Oh, and then, and then we, we, we launched a, uh, the Always Be Comedy podcast yes. uh, a few weeks ago. So I think we're on like episode 17. Uh, well, it depends when this comes out, I suppose. So that, that was just another thing to add to the workload, I suppose. And yeah, and it's great. And it's really, you've done loads of people have podcasts now, right? It's like a big joke, but yours is, framed around the perfect comedy evening as well, which I'm going to ask you about later as well. Right. Um, because I think it's, it's a really interesting concept that you've got there. What, what was your first job? Crikey. So I was a, I was a sports journalist. Yeah. So I, uh, straight out of uni, got a job at a company called sports.com in Leeds. And that was a good gig. I got moved to... <laughs> now, God, I'm so sorry that I'm bringing my mum back into this. So I was, uh, you know... Good working class boy from a working class family in Leeds. <laughs> so I was raised to believe, and this, this, I hope this is helpful for listeners. I was raised to believe you get, you get a steady job. Yeah. So the, my childhood dream of being a comedian, absolute flim flam. That's not, a, that's not a steady, reliable job. So I got a job as a sports journalist. So you can feel like the whole family going, now that is what you call a reliable job. And then proceeded to work for every single company that folded. <laughs> Cause you know, journalism is, yeah, yeah. Journal, right. you know, journalism, it's not a hot take. Journalism is essentially dead because people bemoan the death of brilliant journalism, but they don't want to pay for the journalism. Yeah. So there's, is it Brian Glanville, the, uh, the, the, the fabled sports writer in the 1970s went undercover in Italy, uh, this, this, uh, this great British sports writer to expose corruption in Italian football, which regarded as like one of the great, uh, pieces of sports journalism. If you were to pitch that to a sports editor now, he'd have you escorted off the premises yeah, yeah. because the, co the, the cost for that, they could pay for hundreds of online yeah, articles that, that would get the click. So, so I worked for sports.com. They folded during that great crash, the, 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 the dot-com crash of 2002, folded on the first day of the World Cup, 2002. Imagine <laughs> that. Uh, and, and, but then I went to the Croydon Advertiser and I was the Crystal Palace. This has been a great source of comedy material down the years. I was the Crystal Palace correspondent, uh, home and away from about 02 to 05. I barely missed. I'm from Leeds. The accent is barely there. But because of this job, uh, Stockholm Syndrome took hold. And I, f I just fell in love, like head over heels with yeah. Crystal Palace. You get to know the players, get to know the coaches, get to know the people that work there. And then to come full circle, one of the guys who saved Crystal Palace um, guy called Stephen Browett, him and his sons come to always be comedy and they've been coming <laughs> here for a, a few years. And so they very kindly invite me to uh, sit in the director's box. Uh, I mean, it's so, it's so, it's so sweet. I'm, I'm always very grateful. So, but, it's, but it's lovely to still have that affiliation with the club. We live near uh, Sellers Park. My two girls, whether they like it or not, are being raised as Crystal Palace fans because I want them to know what true suffering is. <laughs> 
build resilience early. Yeah. Build resilience. And then, and then from there, I freelanced at all sorts of places. I, I was a sports writer at the London paper. That was a, that was a, that was a great gig. So we'd get the paper out and then in the afternoon, I might spend an afternoon with Jack Nicholas. Um, I might have a golf lesson with Justin Rose, or I'd go spend time with Usain Bolt at the O2 Arena, and then on the night I might be covering Chelsea in the Champions League, and that was a that was a phenomenal gig. And then that folded, uh, and then I went to Shortlist, and then uh, went freelance from Shortlist. Sorry, this is my full CV. Uh, main sort of monologues like, "What a life you've lived." <laughs> um, and then I was I was deputy editor at a wellness magazine called Balance. And uh, what happened there was I was quite I was quite experienced by the time I went to Balance, and I was sort of like a bit like when Gary McAllister joined Liverpool. I'm really adding romance yeah, yeah, yeah. to this. So I because I like good contacts, so this magazine I think I'm like blown away because I got them, I got them like Denzel Washington and Chris Hemsworth and uh, like proper Hollywood A-listers, and I, I launched a podcast for them. And I, so I probably think that that helped it. You know, get, gave me a bit of experience before launching the ABC podcast. Um, and then when we went full time with Always Be Comedy once uh, lock, lockdown kicked in, so we went on lockdown. So that was that was the moment that sparked it. Then, well, that was the. I mean, to be honest with you, that was the big. That was the big turning point for Always Be Comedy because we were we were a weekly comedy night on a Thursday. We might put on the odd extra show yeah, yeah. because I was juggling so many other things like various freelance journalism things, the, the, the warm-up. I was emceeing at other places. I was a resident MC at the 99 Club. So I was, you know, always a busy boy. But then when we went into lockdown, obviously, you know, all that's off. And so we started putting on these online nights. And it just, mate, it just grew and grew and grew to the extent where Monday night, we did a show with Al Murray, Al Murray's Lockdown Locking. Tuesdays, Tuesday Night Club with Rachel Price and Marcus Brigstock. Wednesday was the main Always Be Comedy Online night. And then we were putting on extra so extra shows here and there for the likes of uh, Romesh Ranganathan, because he wanted to run through things. Frankie Boyle, because he wanted to run through things. So we're putting on so many online shows. And then what happened? We came out of lockdown. And uh, Tim, my, my other half at ABC, we said to each other, well, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we stop doing all these other shows for other, other places everywhere else? Why don't we put on loads more shows that always be comedy? And so we sort of, I mean, I'll say this while performing the sign of the cross, we sort of never looked back. And so then we went from being a, a weekly comedy night here to being, as I say, we, we try to put on as many as we, as we humanly can, really. And I've written so many notes to come back to that first question about what was your first job, where you... Yeah, sorry, I really launched into <laughs> you. But, uh, you really did, like... You must have been thinking, all right, take it easy. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. Well, I started by writing that uh, Leeds' other famous working-class export, of course, is Liz Truss, but um, the... she from Leeds? Yeah, yeah, she was at Leeds, Leeds, yeah. Oh, no. Was she born in Leeds? No, she was born in, she was born in Paisley, wasn't she? Jesus Christ. I'm not joking, I nearly threw myself out of that window, because <laughs> that would have been... That was news to me. My mortgage—I pay more more of my mortgage directly because of her. <laughs> Listras, yeah, the Listras premium. It's like twitching at her, but long when you mentioned her, and then when you said she was from Leeds, I was like, no, please. But like the job of Palace and the job covering Palace, yeah. and also this feeds into the, like the comedian stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. When you get closer to these people that you idolise and so on, does it? How does your kind of does it change? What do you mean? 
Well, you sort of look up to footballers growing up and so forth, right? Um, and then you're kind of like reporting them. You're saying you're getting to know them and whatever. Like, how does the kind of relationship, the working relationship change? I think, I think externally it changes. Internally, I'm still that giddy yeah. 11-year-old boy who loves football. So I warm up on Fantasy Football League on Sky and uh, Eberiche Eze, my absolute favourite yeah, player yeah. on planet Earth right now. Uh, his cousin is Andrew Mensah, who's one of the uh, co-hosts of the show. And uh, so Eze came to one of the recordings and I went, usually when I finish a walk, because I've got wife and kids, I, I'm invariably putting on my jacket and, yeah, and, yeah. and going home, you know, because I'm, I'm up early for the school run. But I found out that Eze was there and I went into the green room and... I mean, it's hilarious. You, you know, I just, as I say, I was, I was that gibbering. <laughs> I just want, I, I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for Crystal Palace. <laughs> um, and I was, I was so starstruck that I did. I, I wish I'd asked for a picture, but I was. We, we'd had such a pure moment that I almost didn't want to sully it with the. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I, that's that's a lie. I really, to this day, I still kick myself that I didn't get that picture. But uh, but even now, I mean, I'm like, you, you know, if I, I'm sorry for this appalling clang, but I, I'm, I would consider myself like a good friend of, say, John Bishop's. And I've worked with John a lot, been John, John's warm-up guy for a lot. I'm out with him tomorrow night, in fact. But there's still a part of me when I'm chatting with John, there's still a little voice in my head going, oh, you're chatting with John Bishop? You know, when I go back to visit my folks in Leeds, uh, the, the spare room that I still stay in has the John Bishop DVDs that I would watch before I got into comedy, you know. I am also going to come back to DVDs, but I will share this story of John Bishop, I've not done this before on this. <laughs> we may end up cutting it out. <laughs> one of the emails I got in 10 Down, actually, one of my favourite emails I ever got was from someone saying, do you want to come and see John Bishop in concert tonight? Yeah, yeah. And I, I went back and I said, no, but thanks so much for asking. I can't make it. I'd love to do it. And they said, um, I said, one of my favourite comedians, so thanks for asking me. And they said, well, I know him really well, so why don't I bring him in to see you for a cup of coffee? Me and I was like, uh, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, let's do it. And then I got a phone call a couple of days before from the person saying, just to let you know, he wants to lobby you on live comedy tax breaks and he also wants to pitch to interview Theresa May. And I was like, okay. I mean, both like quite unlikely potentially. But I was like, bring him in. And I was like, and he took it really seriously. And after about five minutes, I thought there's something in this. And he gave me his pitch for why he should interview Theresa May. And I thought, there's there's something in it. Like I said to him, look, John, you are a scouser, a socialist, and a comedian. If I was going to use three words to describe Theresa May, they'd be pretty, <laughs> pretty a long way towards the bottom of what I'd pick. <laughs> and he said, opposites attract. And I said, okay, all right. So John said opposites attract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitch. Brilliant. <laughs> so quick, <laughs> straight away. And it was like, but it was, it was interesting because then I took it to the sort of diary bid meeting because any request that came in had to go to the diary bid meeting. And I put it forward to the deputy chief staff and she was like, actually, there might be something in this. Um, we've been thinking about, we need to do some stuff with a PM that's a bit sort of different. And then she's more relatable. Yeah. John, and, working class northerner. And so she was like, Jimmy, go and road test him more. I was like, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> right. So then we, it came to more and more things and I, Got chatting to him more, liked him more, and we were talking about, um, you know, as now it's quite strange looking, I was asking him a lot about his job and all the kind of different aspects of it. And I was like, how did you get into it, da, 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 et cetera. And I was like, you know, did you do a stand-up course uh, anywhere? 
And he was like, no, not really. But we were at this event, and we were at the Soccer Aid event in the garden, and there were all these comedians there. So he brings over like Paddy McGuinness and Lee Mack. He's asking all these people, did you do a course in it? And so on. And like even Freddie Flintoff boils over and all this, clang, clang, clang. And they were like, no, the, the thing you should go and do is potentially Logan Murray's course. Anyway, so I go and look into that. But I go home and tell my wife this story, and she was just like, you did what? I was like, oh, I asked them, like, I asked John Bishop whether he did, like, a week-long course in stand-up comedy. And she was like, you ask people that are at the very, very top of their game whether they did a week-long course in it. She's like, you advise the Prime Minister. How would you respond if somebody said, do you do a week-long course in that? She's like, it's so embarrassing. Hang on, I'm with you on this. Thank you. I'm glad that somebody You want to know the origin story. You want to know how they got into it. I mean, I was, I mean, crikey, how I got into it. I I didn't do a course. So about 13 years ago, Probably longer. Anyway, there's a there's a landlord at the Nell Gwyn, a comedian called Rob Collins, but he's also a comedian. And I used to drink in the Nell Gwyn, and my mates would say to Rob, um, "Our mates funny, but there's a big difference between yes. being the funny guy in the pub and being a comedian." And the and Rob goes, "Have you written any stuff?" And pro- privately, I, I had. And he goes, "All right, come here on Thursday. Uh, come in my office, and you're going to do your material for me." I was like, "Deal." So. Head over to the Nell Gwyn, got my notes, go into his office, and he goes, right, just so you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I won't use the word, but I can't swear on this podcast, can I? Yeah, you can. Yeah, all right, I'm, 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 all right, let's just say he said, I'm not going to laugh, right? I, I can sidestep the swear word. Um, and so I, w- I went through this material, and he, he did actually, he did, despite himself, he, he, he laughed at some of the bits, and he goes, uh, look, I've got a gig tonight uh, in Tooting, at the castle, I think it was. Oh, yeah. He goes, um, come with me if you want. Come and watch. Tim Bynes on. So I, would, I would love that. So we got on the tube to Tooting. And as we're getting near Tooting, he goes, uh, just so you know, you're going to perform your first stand-up set tonight. I was like, are you joking? He's like, nope. And he goes up to the guy around the night and he goes, put him on, do his, do his first gig. I, I'm, the memory of it, my heart is, is racing. And so I, I did the set, started off all right, tailed off quite rapidly. Tim Vine, my first ever gig, Tim Vine fo- followed me. He was doing new. Um, and after the gig, Rob Collins said to me, he goes, just so you know, you, you won't sleep tonight. And I can still, in my mind's eye, I can still remember the walk from the pub to, I lived in Tooting, but the, the euphoria just coursing through your veins. Um, so yeah, that was, my, that was my first ever gig. And sort of, sort of, no, yeah, yeah. In fact, just- I mean, I, I mean, without getting too heavy, I'm, tw- I'm more than 12 years sober. And so I, he's not over romanticizing or being melodramatic to say that I swapped uh, my love of going out and getting absolutely cars in for my mates. Yeah. I swapped that. It was like a direct trade for doing as many gigs as, as, as I could. There's a guy called Ian Morris, co created The In Between Us. I've known him since my 20s. And I'd got on the open mic circuit. And Ian said, How many gigs are you doing a, a week? And I said two or three, and I was expecting Ian Morris to be like, you know, yeah. And he just, Ian Morris just pointed upwards as if to say, you need to be doing more than that. And uh, my, I was with a friend called Paul, been friends since we were teenagers, and we walked from uh, from the pub to the tube station. And my friend Paul said, he said the only way you could do more gigs is if you knocked booze on the head. That night was the last night I ever touched alcohol, January wow. the eleventh, two thousand and eleven touched a drop since and and certainly have done that yeah yeah so the, 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 the gigging the gigging a week 
went up from from that moment. And when did you think, or have you ever thought, I've made it? Or what was yeah. Where, where, yeah, I know the moment. I know the moment, and my wife knows the moment as well. Uh, Going out for a meal, me, my wife, my mum and dad. Uh, this would be about nine years ago, I reckon. We've we've been out in Crystal Palace. We get into a cab to go home, and I get an email on my phone. It's from the BBC, and Nick Helm. There you are. Uh, has asked me to be his warm up for Nick Helm's Heavy Entertainment, and and so I get this email from the BBC. You you know Nick Helm has asked you blah 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 blah. You, you, we're, these are the record days, and my wife said that she she read the email, and for her it was that moment of, oh for God's sake, because she realised that she I think she'd hoped that this was going to be like an itch I was going to scratch, yeah, and whoa, I don't need to do that comedy anymore. Whereas that was the moment where she went, oh he can he can earn a fucking living from this, <laughs> and so so she knew that she knew that that was that that was the moment where it went from being. A hobby where you sort of you might dream that you that you yeah. might make it to that moment of someone saying, "I actually think you're so good that I trust you to be my warm up guy on this show." And then the, I'll be honest with you, the warm up from there sort of I sort of never looked back. So from from that, Brett Goldstein had me as Catherine Tate's warm up. Uh, wow. I was then John Bishop's warm up on the John Bishop show uh, on BBC One, and it just sort of snowballed from there, really. And what? Oh, this is a massive question. But what changes have you seen to comedy in that kind of time? I think comedy's changed for the better. Um, you know, I, 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 this, this... That's That's an optimistic answer. I really think comedy's yeah. changed for the better, yeah. I mean, this term, this term woke, people use this term woke, woke as a, as a, as a, as a put-down, and, and I think they misuse it. So I was working on the, the, the John Bishop show on ITV, and... Uh, we made this show during a. Look, you might be a, you might be a conservative voter listening to this, so I'm objectively saying there was there was some pretty dodgy stuff going on. There was Partygate. There was the Nadine Zahawi, uh, the, the 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 tax, uh, shall we say, affairs. Yeah. Uh, there was you know there was a there was a lot of stuff going on, and and because it was a topical comedy show, we were writing jokes to reflect things that were happening in the news. And the episode would go out and people were putting on Twitter, like aimed at John, you've gone woke. And you're like, calling out corruption. <laughs> How is calling out, calling out corruption's not, that's not woke. So I think, I think, I think woke, this whole woke war thing, I think people use this term, they, they, they bandy it about and use it to suit their own agenda. But, I, but, if, but sorry, to, to answer your question, if, if, if in comedy now you can't use a slur or say something awful about someone that's going to upset someone, that's surely a good thing. Like, you know, Harry Hill, I know it's a big clang, but again, I'm good friends with Harry, been his warm-up guy, done a lot with Harry. Harry, his big thing is, what is the intent? And that, that's, that's, that's got to be, that, yeah. that's got to be it. What is the intent? But it's partly people wanting to be outraged, right? Like, I saw, it was quite... People, people want to be outraged, and, the, and I think those very same people, the people that say, huh, you can't say anything these days, because people are so easily offended, and then as soon as so you say something that upsets them, they're, they're the very people that are clutching their pearls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they want to have their cake and eat it. Um, but it was it like, because I saw, uh, we were recording this like, a few days after George Osborne's got married, right? And they pulled that stunt with the orange confetti on him. I saw people getting so angry about it, like on Twitter. And I was just like, I can't believe they'd ruined their wedding day. And I was like, I don't know Osborne particularly well, but I was like, 
I really doubt it. you've ruined his day. Like, it's just... Oh, like, this is the News Agents podcast. Emily Maitlis was at... Emily Maitlis and, and John Sopel were at the wedding. Yeah. They said on a recent episode, they didn't even see it. Yeah. <laughs> so the confetti incident, and they said, look, we're both journalists. We, sh you know, we, yeah, yeah. how bad is it that we're admitting that we've not seen it? But it was such a, it was such a, a minuscule event, the confetti thing, that it was, it, it wasn't even in full view of everyone. So it was such a minor thing. And you know, I, I don't want to get the podcast shut down, but I'm pretty certain there was something else that came out around that time that was probably more upsetting for the bride and groom. And I'll I tell you what, mate, it wasn't having some confetti down on about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can say that without... Yeah, yeah. You know, I, think, I mean, look, it was referenced in the papers quite yeah. a lot and stuff, so I think it's, I think it's fine. Um, but what's what's the process for writing? Because you talk there about like your first thing of like, oh, have you, have you written anything? Because writing is like massively different to delivery, right? Like you can write like all you want. But like, <laughs> mate, I used to work at a magazine and there was a guy that worked there and he, he wanted to be a comedian. He'd say to me, like, oh, I've written loads. And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You've got to get over there. When I first started, t uh, Tim Vine, we, we, um, I used to ask him for advice a lot and he always replied, I mean, fair play to the guy. But ultimately what it all comes back to is there's no substitute for pointing to the spotlights here. He always says there's no substitute for standing under, under the spotlights. And my advice to anyone who wants to get into comedy You've just got to do it. I think some people are waiting for that magic wand to be waved. And maybe, you know, maybe in a way I was, but you've, you've just got to go out there and do it. Well, I mean, it's one of the reasons that we want to do more comedians on the show is partly, I think it is inherently quite entrepreneurial. Like you've, you've got to get up and get started, right? Because like that, that's it. And then, you know, it is freelance, but you're, like you say, you work out. How do you structure your days then at the moment? So you're doing this like almost every night, right? And yeah. you're, doing, you're doing the school runs. So then what do you do in the, Day so during the day, um, because we put on so many shows, there's lots and lots of admin that goes with it. Yeah. So there's but there's there's booking the shows. There's uh, the, I've got this newsletter, this 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 fabled always be comedy newsletter because we're always putting on shows for the always be comedy newsletter. So uh, you, we'll put a link to that in the show well. Well, what, so what I would say is what we what we want you, we want people to come to the regular always be comedy shows. That's where you find out about the newsletter because what you don't want are the Johnny Come Latelys that are only coming to the newsletter shows because that is the equivalent of supporting your local football team but only attending when they're playing Man United. Right. So we'll get I'll get an email from someone saying, how do I so join we won't this? Put, we won't put a link. No, no, no. But, no but, but I'll get an email. I, we get quite, Tim and I get a lot of emails. Oh, how do I join this newsletter? And we're always like, go to the gigs, dude. You go to the gigs, that's how you find out. So we might put on a, we might put on a secret newsletter show featuring, you know, someone like, say, a, a Joe Lyser or a, a Kevin Bridges or a... Yeah. You know, a, a, Catherine Ryan, etc. Um, yeah, Joe Lysett's really having like a moment in terms of like using the platform to be kind of like campaigning on issues that he so, cares and, about. And, and, and he's, more, a, he's more he's more influential than most politicians. The, well, sort of, like, well, there's a great example of someone who who you know where's the intent? That guy's always punching up. You know, he's always yeah. he's always take it's always uh, you know, truth to power. Is that is that the phrase that I'm after? Um, but he, he's 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 always fighting on the side of on the side of good, and that last tour show of his was was an absolute masterpiece. Um, yeah, he's he's uh, that dude is an absolute powerhouse and a not just a hero of comedy, but just a, a hero full stop. And uh, what he what he's achieved, absolute more power to him. He's 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 beloved for a reason. Also, what I say about Joe Lysa that. That is, that is not an act. You know, some people mm. on stage, hey, I'm your lovable best friend, and then off stage, Jesus Christ, that's quite an act you're putting on there. Whereas with Lysa, 
he's just he, he, Joe, Joe is Joe twenty four seven. Yeah, great dude. Do you think that is one of the ways that comedy is changing? Is partly because of social media, it's harder to be an act in the sense of in the very traditional sense of acting a different role. I'm not expect that is I'm not phrasing this very well, and you're looking very confused. But I just try to start again. But is there? It's harder to be fake. Alan Carr, in his first autobiography, look who it is, which is a hilarious book. I was on a train from London to Leeds, and was pulled into Leeds. I had my headphones on. I'd read his, you know, read a lot of his book on the train. A woman comes over. She goes, "What are you reading?" And I said, "Alan Carr's Look Who It Is." I said, "Why do you ask?" I didn't realize this. She says, you've not stopped laughing for two hours, 20 minutes. But in this book, he, he, and I think about this a lot, the audience have a much better inbuilt bullshit detector than, than I think people realize. And yeah. so they can, they can tell who's authentic and who's not authentic. They can tell when a story's fake and when a story's real. And, uh, you know, Joe jo Lysa is, is, is the real deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, t uh, totally. And so just going back to the days and the... Oh, yeah, like, sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would, uh, yeah, so a day will be spent uh, either, I, I will I will write some gear that I will probably try out here. We might record it on the camera up there. Yeah. If it if it bangs, I might put it out on the socials. If it doesn't bang, Tim, you can drag that one into the recycling bin. <laughs> um, yeah, booking shows, doing the podcast. I mean, I... I I mean, I'll, I will try, where possible, I'll put, I'll put in as many full days yeah. of, of comedy work as I can. If I'm writing on a, if I'm writing on a TV show, I treat that. I once interviewed Emma Kennedy, the, the, the writer, you know, author, broadcaster, and she, this is a good bit of advice. If you work from home, you treat it like you work in the local shop. So she made this noise. So she says, nine o'clock, she mimes opening a door and goes, ding-a-ling, works a full shift, and then it's say half five, ding-a-ling, End of shift. And so if I'm, say, writing on a TV show, if you're being, if you're being hired to write on a show, you do a proper, really what, trying to watch the language here, <laughs> you, do a, you do a proper job. And so I treat that like a, you know, I'll have a, I might have a half hour break, have a sandwich, but then straight, yeah. back, straight back to And it. do you write with like a team or what's that? I'm just fascinated. Depends what the show to... is. But it's so, so like, so uh, there might, I might write on a TV show and there might be two of us on that day. And it, it, it's probably like a pal from the circuit, if you like. Yeah. And then we might have a we might have a Zoom meeting at the start of the day, do a load of writing, check in at lunch, compare notes. That can be really good because if it's a pal, they might read out what they've done. And I might go, oh, that's fantastic. What about this as a tag? And they're like, yeah. And then the afternoon, more writing, check back in, in the, at the end of the day. But if, it, if it's solo, then it's just you uh, and... You, you can spend a full day writing. You, you might think you've written. I've, I've had that where I've written on a show. I've written gags that I thought were the absolute bankers. I've included some that I didn't have that much confidence in. And then the show goes out and they've caught, they've gone with the ones that you personally weren't that yeah. keen on and the ones that you thought were standing ovation. We'll never see the light of day, but that's just, that's just how it goes, you know. That's just the nature of it. And so um, let's talk about that. Like you had a great phrase for the kind of like golden generation in one of your podcasts. I think it was the one with Josh Whittacombe where you talked about what is it that you think kind of made that sort of generation special and delivered unlike the fabled England golden generation? It was just, it was, it was the, it was the quality and the quantity. And it was, 
I mean, we, you know, we can reel them off now. I, I, we, we would hit 20 names easily. And they, they just came through, they, they all came through at the right time and they all fulfilled their potential. And this is not false modesty to say that with Always Be Comedy, we, we got lucky. And it does sound like false modesty and I do, I do apologize. So we launched just over 12 years ago. And when we launched, these are the guys that were coming through as newer acts. Uh, Ramesh Ranganathan, Rob Beckett, Sarah Pascoe, Ashling B., Catherine Ryan, Ed Gamble, Nish Kumar, James Acaster. Uh, Widdicombe was probably, last leg was was probably about to launch, so he was sort of already breaking through. Uh, I mean, yeah, Rachel Paris, um, the likes of, say, Sean Walter probably going for a bit. Bridges was probably a star by then. Definitely was a star by then, actually. But um, I've, I'd, have, I'd have missed so many. Uh, when I yeah, get to yeah, sleep yeah. tonight, I'll worry about the, the names. <laughs> Tom Allen, there you go. Susie Ruffle, you know, yeah, Kerry yeah. Godleyman, uh, Joan Brister, on and on and on. Bristol probably had a couple more years. Anyway, um, but the, the, that whole group, you know, that, that, that group, a lot of those dudes sell out tours. They've won BAFTAs. Their stars on both, you know, someone like Ashling B has had huge success yeah, yeah. in America as well. You know, it's, uh, it's I, it, it, that group. Oh, Joe Lighter, got a, I forgot Joe. He's already had his own segment. But <laughs> that, yeah, sorry, Joe. That group, I mean, that is, that's ast- I mean, that is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's like, it's exceptional. And it's a great credit to British creativity as well. What's oh, the- also, I've got to say, I've got to give credit to all those guys, because all those guys, plus all the other guys I've, I've, I've not mentioned, and I, and, I, and I feel terrible. So they were all playing Always Be, Always Be Comedy as, as we launched. Um, and they still, thank God, that uh, Reese James, oh, Griffith, they, st- <laughs> they, they still come back now. So, so, yeah. so before, so when Kevin Bridges say, uh, I mean, Kevin was a star by then, but nevertheless, when, say, Kevin Bridges is prepping for a tour, I, I name-check Kev because everyone on the circuit knows what I think of Kevin. I think he's a, a genius. I feel like um, how a musician must have felt being around the same time as, like, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting, well, I'm getting carried away, but, like, if you're a musician at the same time as Mozart, you can either, like, gnash your teeth with jealousy or just be so grateful that you're around at the same time as Mozart. And Br- Bridges... Honestly, I don't, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. If you go back and revisit all his specials, they hold up like a Beatles album. I mean, that kid is, I say kid, he's in his 30s, but that guy is such a ferocious talent. Anyway, so when Kevin is, is prepping for a tour or trying out new material, whenever he's down here, uh, he will, he'll pop in here. And, and it's such a special thrill to have those dudes uh, come back. But, but then also, sorry, it's also very important to champion the new talent. And so, you know, you join us here today and tonight we've got Josh Pugh, who, Which I'm really jealous about. Who is, <laughs> if you've never heard of Josh Pugh, you know, if, if you if you're wondering who that next uh, that next superstar is, then you know, put the mortgage on Josh Pugh. What's the future of comedy money, though, in terms of these guys creating it? So, let, well, we'll come back to that, and we'll we'll use Josh Pugh as an example. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, you talked about in the in your podcast, always be comedy. The like really enjoying people's rise to success and notoriety. I enjoy their rise to success more than they do. 100%. Totally, right? And yeah. I, I bought it's such a lovely line. And that's like such a good kind of description as you want in a phrase. You talked about it specifically. I think it was about Ramesh. And I, yeah, what, but is, is there any sort of, you said it there about the Mozart example, but is there any sort of, you know, do you, would you ever want that sort of lame I mean, there can't be many more recognisable people than Ramesh Ranganathan at the moment. I can, I, I have such a happy life. I can have, I'm 
try not to cry here, but I couldn't, I, I would be a fool to complain about my lot or pine for, yeah. crikey, if I was to ever pine for more than what I've already got, then I would need a, as I'd say to one of my girls, I would be sat down and given a good talking to, you know, I'm, yeah. I, when I was, a, when I was a child, uh, Dustin G uh, passed away backstage during a pantomime with Les Dennis. My teacher helped me write a letter to Les Dennis in which I told him that my dream was to be a comedian. And so to sit here at the age of 45, fine, I'm not, I'm not Jerry Seinfeld in terms of star power, but I'm a comedian. I perform pretty much every night. I, I own my own company. Uh, I perform on my terms. We have a podcast. I'm surround, I've got a wonderful friendship circle. I'm surrounded by this golden generation. I get to stand there night after night. I'm pointing to a bar that's like seven yards away. <laughs> and I get to watch the likes of, say, Stephen Merchant, Jack Whitehall, Sarah Pascoe, and on and on and on and on. Nish, I mean, Nish Kumar, gee, I mean, what a, what a talent he is. Uh, life is pretty sweet. And, and so if I was to sit here and say that I, I wish I could swap places with mm. Ramesh, I would be, frankly, a fucking idiot. It's such a good way to look at life, though. Like, one, it's, thing that, like, one thing that, you know, you, you will meet people in life, not just in comedy, that, and they complain about their lot, and you just think, I think some people don't realise how lucky they are. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's important, it is important to, uh, I don't want to sound like some, I mean, look, I've got this, I've got, I'm here with a notepad that says gold digger on the front. <laughs> so if I say, if I, if I sound like someone that is banging to self-help, then you are absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> what What's the origin story behind that book? So I, I've been, I got into self-help. I got, I got the Paul McKenna Change Your Life in Seven Days book. It, when I was covering Crystal Palace, actually, that, that, that is the impact that the club will have on you. They drove me to self-help. Uh, and and so, uh, Paul, yeah, Paul McKenna's Change Life in Seven Days was sort of like the, the gateway drug to self-help. And I've sort of, in a way, I've sort of like completed self-help. So I, I still, the, now a lot of it is guff and a lot of it, I think there are a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. And, yes. and from working, yeah, yeah. when I worked at Balance, I was the deputy editor on this, on this wellness mag and myself and the editor, we would have these sorts of frank exchanges and we both agreed there are some people who are in it for stardom or they're, they're in it for the wrong reasons. But uh, if you can, I think with, with, self-help, personal development, call it what you like. If you can cherry pick the little things that work for you, then I think that I, I think that's quite a, I think yeah, it's quite yeah. a shrewd, a shrewd thing to do. Even now to this day, I was having this chat with uh, Tom Allen, uh, that I'd like to, um, write down goals before certain shows. Can't do it for every gig here. Cause I'd, I'd run out of pens, but uh, I once interviewed, uh, Dan Carter, the greatest rugby player who, oh, who's yeah. ever lived. Wow. Now, some people will call this, some people call it manifesting, if you're into that sort of thing. But Dan Carter, who's uh, very much both feet on the ground, he would call it goal setting. And Dan Carter would write these goals and it would be things like, be the greatest kicker on the planet and, and things like that. And he said that at the start of one season, every single goal that he wrote came true. And a member of the All Blacks coaching staff, I think he became the number one player on the planet, like statistically was like yeah, officially... Yeah. Uh, and one of the All Blacks coaching staff came into the, came into the changing rooms. I know he said dressing room. That's that showbiz for you. Came into the the, the the change rooms and deliberately trod on his feet. And Dan Carter goes, "You know what are you doing?" And the guy goes, "I'm making sure that both those remain firmly on the ground." And I, so I I I'm, I that's love good, yeah. all stuff like that. I love so that is that's why I've got this gold digger book because oh so Tom sorry Tom Allen found out that I was into all this stuff 
And then as a thank you, just we'd, we'd done some some uh, shows together. And so as a thank you, he got me a, it's in my bag, this black leather uh, book that that he wants me to write in. So I use that as a my pre-show notebook. Um, I think that's great. I, I, manifesting, I think, is really interesting because another word for manifesting is daydreaming. Well, there's, that, there's a famous Jim Carrey clip on YouTube and he says, I know, like Tim, who I run ABC with, he, he, he's, more, he's more grounded. So he, he would call it goal setting. But I've, I've interviewed people like uh, Rhonda Byrne. I mean, I think it's essentially the same sort of thing, really. Goal, setting goals is sort of the same as manifesting. Yeah, yeah. But there's a famous Jim Carrey clip on YouTube where he says, you can't just write down, I want to make $20 million a picture and then make a sandwich. You've got to, it's not like, it's not like just magic. I want a gold helicopter to land outside. You've got to, you've yeah, got to, yeah. You've got to put the work in, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. But yeah, you have. But that, that vision, that whole kind of like visualizing thing, I do, I do think like, you know, part of it is daydreaming and actually letting yourself go away with Sorry, dreams. you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Just like, but d- daydreaming, but you've then got to do something about it. Oh, the, totally. You know, totally. And, but then think, okay, what are the steps to kind of get like, get there and so on? Um, the, let's go back to J- Josh. Pew as an example because yes. I have seen his videos I would say every uh, day for the last few weeks and whatever and I think he's brilliant he's doing all kinds of comedy and it's just brilliant but I have not given him a penny and he's given me lots of entertainment already what's the future of kind of like the comedy economy to use a phrase to make it on the spot. So like, Josh Pugh's a great example. Josh Pugh has set himself almost this, it's almost like a challenge where he puts out a new video, fresh piece of video content every single Monday. And he's been right. doing that for well over a year, I think now. Yeah. And what's happened there is, and it does help if you're a comedy genius. And so, <laughs> so, what, so what? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The, the, the gear's got to be good. <laughs> you can't just... Can't just, I'm going to commit to put a video out every Monday. The video will be total shit, but nevertheless, I put it out every Monday. So the, the gear, the product has to be good. And Josh's product isn't just good, it's great. So he puts the, these videos out every single Monday. And because of that, he's accumulated this following. So say his Twitter following has gone from a couple of thousand to, I think, like 70-odd thousand off the back of these, you know, hilarious videos as well as brilliant jokes as well. And it's not just the videos. He's a, such, such a great writer. And so by a notch on Twitter, or, you know, across, across the, the socials, uh, I'm not sure how many Instagram followers, he'll have a bit, he'll have a lot of Instagram followers through, through these videos. And then you accumulate the, a fan base so that when he announces, say, a show like tonight or a tour, yeah, he's got these guys ready and waiting because they, 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 they might never have seen him live before. They might have only seen the videos. And so if Josh is playing at a town near them, when he announces that tour or that show, they can't believe their luck and be, be on the bang, you know, they're, they're there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Do you think it's different in the, in the States because there's a bit more of a tipping culture though? Because I t- I'll just... I'll... Oh, do you mean like this Ko-Fi thing? Or co- is it buy me a coffee and all that? Yeah, stuff? like I just... Some people, I mean, some, some comedians do that. And, I, and we, which is... Which, is fair enough if you know if they're if they're spending hours and hours every week making these videos, editing them, and, yeah. and you know writing them, and, and so on. Uh, you know that 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 that's one way that some dudes do it. But but with Josh, I think it's been more about because he's such a. Some of those guys aren't necessarily stand ups. The ones that are doing the the, the buy me a 
is it, you pronounce it Kofi, Kofi? Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, the guys that do that, whereas Josh is such a pure comedian. If Josh, you know, Joshy, Joshy's just, uh, funny just falls off him. You know, he, he, he he's, uh, I'm going to use the term pure comedian for the fourth time in about 10 seconds. Uh, so for Josh, it's more about being, being in rooms. He loves smashing gigs and, and getting followers that way. So yeah. you might have not given him a penny yet, but I suspect yeah. maybe when that next tour gets announced, maybe you'll, that's, yeah, that's how I'll get you, you. That's how I'll get your money next, that's next how time. I'll get my money. Yeah, no, no, but it's like it's it's true, right? Because the, the other example of where I did it of money was um, the Parenting Hell podcast, and when they launched the book, because I just thought I'm literally getting like two hours of content a week that I listen to. Like the least I can do is chip out fifteen quid for a book. But, like, but again, that's another good example. You know, Josh Whittacombe, Rob Beckett. Two outstanding comedians, that podcast, what an incredible idea, hugely successful. Off the back of that, you can buy the book, you can go to, you can go Read see their tours, tours uh, and then also you can go see them, you know, individually, they're also two of the best comedians around, so, uh, you know, whenever next time either those guys are on tour, people might have come to them via the podcast, you know, it's all, I'm not saying, that, I don't think for a second they, they would have, they would have had this in mind when they launched the podcast, but with retrospect, what a very clever thing to do. Yeah, yeah, totally right. Um, yeah. And what, has social media improved comedy, do you think? Hands down. Absolutely. Because if, okay. if, if I mean, there's not, you and I could sit here now and reel off some of the greatest sitcoms of all time, right? And we would go say, let's go Faulty Towers. All right, it's not exactly, it's not really a controversial list, this. Faulty Towers, Porridge, Blackadder, The Office, etc. But, Unfortunately, there's just not, there isn't as much TV comedy getting made as there was. That's, that, that is, that, that is a fact. Because I guess there are other ways of seeking out comedy. You can watch the clips on YouTube, you can go on TikTok, go on Instagram. And so social media is a brilliant way for comedians to get their clips out there. So yeah. some comedians, uh, 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 we have a camera up there. Uh, some comedians will, will record themselves or maybe they've done stand up on TV shows and they will clip them up and they will put them out as one two minute clips and they can go viral that way. There's a, I mean, there's a comedian called Jen Brister, absolute undeniable room slayer. Jen Brister has been undeniable for nearly 20 years. Just a fantastic comedian, beloved by comedians, beloved by audiences. She's in a, I, I probably shouldn't say how old she is, but she's, uh, she's a, a, a She's a mother. She's she's a, she's a. I don't use the word veteran. General general, clip me around the ear off. But Jen's been, Jen's been going a while, and then she starts putting clips up on TikTok and Instagram. Now, once again, it goes back to the gear has got to be good. The product's got to be good. Jen's gear isn't just good; it's phenomenal. And so she was going viral, clip after clip after clip. This tour, she's just recently extended this Optimist tour. I sound like Jen's publicist. She's just extended this tour. But as part of this tour, I know for a fact, because, you know, she's a mate, she put on the Leicester Square Theatre, sold it out. Put on a second day at Leicester Square Theatre, sold it out. Put on a gig at Alexandra Palace, sold that out. Put on a second gig at Alexandra Palace. And this is all off the back of sharing clips on social media. I mean, that that's a that's a, a wonderful thing, isn't it? And that's a job of the future, doing all that social stuff as well. That was a great plug. Well done. So comedians often kind of joke about sort of doing corporate gigs as being the kind of like uh, really sort of lucrative work. But they also say they're really quite hard, right? Because you, you haven't necessarily got a pe room of people that are really ready to laugh, right? They're kind of almost being forced fun, organized fun from the corporates. What's been your experience of corporate gigs? 
the, the risk of sounding like uh, I'm, I'm plugging always be comedy on the QBC shopping channel <laughs> and you reach across and strangle me. This is such a, this is a characteristically sickeningly positive answer. But because, I think because we love putting on the comedy shows that, that that sort of shines through when we do the private shows. So we did a, we did a show for a company called Contagious uh, relatively recently. They're like, they're like an ad agency. And it was yeah. myself and Reese James. And this company, now on paper, I, I'm well aware that, like you say, a lot of comedians joke about corporates being, being hard. But because but, this but company, very lucrative to be but, fair. But because right? this company, I think, was so grateful that, that, that this was like such a break from the norm. They're out of the office. They've been taken to this venue. There was this Always Be Comedy show. There was Reese James, star of Mot the Week. And it was like, the energy in the room. It, I'm not, I, I know this is so positive. It was like we were doing an actual gig. And so, That's cool. so when we put on the, when we put, we sort of, we try to give the same levels of energy and love and commitment to these private shows. You know, you're getting paid for these things as we would a, a regular always be comedy gig. And so that's how we sort of stage them. So whether it's, uh, it might be, myself, I, I would, I would always MC it, but people like, you know, Rachel Paris, uh, uh Sunil Patel, someone like Reese James, Josh Pugh, Joe Caulfield. So we, we book these always be comedy acts. So these, these companies are still getting that always be comedy show so that it never feels too, from what I hear from other places, it can feel a bit stale or a bit, yeah, a bit yeah. forced, a bit contrived. So I, I think with always be comedy, the thing is, as you can tell by the manic way that I talk, it's just attacking everything with this enthusiasm and this, this, this absolute love and passion for, for comedy. Cause what you get on the circuit, you get the, like these jaded hacks. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm like the opposite of that. I've been going for 13 years. I love comedy. I mean, I've, I've nearly cried on this podcast about eight times. I love comedy more now than I did when I started 13 years ago. And I, I'm confident that that will, that will just, that will always continue. Amazing. I once had Al Murray do a pub quiz at a corporate. And that was very good as well. So it's like, you can be quite creative with like. Yeah. Al Murray is a great, that you couldn't have picked a more perfect person. He's such a, a hero to me. Someone like Al Murray, Harry Hill, Stuart Lee, these guys, I think, uh, they won't thank me for this. I think they've got more than a hundred years of experience between them yeah. and what they've got is love of the game. So when those guys come down here in a room like this, they're, di they're doing it because they're, they, they love comedy. I'm one said to Harry Hill, I says, you do this for love of the game, don't you? He was like, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, I think anyone listening to this podcast, doesn't matter what field of work you work in. I hope some of you are nodding along. Whatever you do, you've got, you got off the love of the game. What? Um, finally, the golden generation. I was just like, I loved it so much. Who do you think? you would map over the golden generation of comedians to the golden generation of England national footballers for their clubs. Where yeah, they, I was going to say, because we, we chatted about this before the show and the thing that I, as a big football fan, the thing that I had to flag was the difference between our, the, the, the comedians golden generation is that they all, they didn't just fulfill their potential. They, they, you know, a lot of them were overachieving. You know, I mean, that was a compliment. They, they, they more than fulfilled it. Whereas that England team failed. They, they broke our hearts every two yeah. years. Golden generation comedians to footballing counterparts yeah jesus christ the, the serious the gold digger book is out for those listening on this please would you do me a favor and edit out the pauses <laughs> yeah, yeah, by all means because i want to i want to do i want to do justice to each is it easier to do the players and then fit the comedians into the players yeah the the trick the, 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 the reason why i'm on thin ice here is because each player let us down so badly that i would <laughs> I would. I'm pretty firm on this. Each player let the country down so badly, <laughs> tournament in, tournament out, that I don't want to sound like I'm digging out a close friend from the 
Comedy. But no, let's think of them as the club players, right? So, like, if, yeah. if I was Sarah Pascoe and I went, oh, Sarah Pascoe, she'd be like Rio Ferdinand. She'd be like, how are you comparing me to Rio Ferdinand? But uh, maybe Sarah is Rio. So Rio, Rio was a senior figure in the dressing room. Everybody looked up to Rio. Very popular, very beloved, naturally funny. So, the reason why I say that is Sarah Pascoe, uh, I've got so much love for her as a, as a comedian, but then also I was a warm-up guy, so I've got to know her... Uh, as a mate as well. I think Rio would be great value in a dressing room. We were here Monday night. Sarah got here early and we started the gig late because the pre-gig chat between Tim, Sarah and myself was so good that we, we it got to like, oh God, it's eight o'clock. We've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've not opened the doors yet. So maybe maybe Sarah's Rio because she's because she's so funny and so popular. Uh, Who's Gary Neville? Who's the shop steward of the comedians? Oh my God. Hang on, what, what, who would Wayne Rooney be like the explosive? Because then Rick, the thing with Rooney is, I know he scored all those goals, but he, do you not think he could have done more at major tournaments? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely, right? I mean, um, so I, I was thinking he's a bit like um, uh, James Acaster. What, like God given talent? Yeah, un quite unconventional. Like, you know, just Yeah, that's smashed. good. Think of that, that, that overhead kick against Manchester City, you know, yeah. like, you know, one of the absolute great goals. You know, only Rooney could have scored that goal. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe with Acaster. You know, only Acaster is capable of some of the, the 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 things that. I mean, the thing with James is he's such a um, he's such a unique comedic voice. There's there's no one like him. I mean, he again, just a such a special talent. That's that's probably a that's it. In terms of that natural innate ability and being brilliant, then yeah, that is fair. But what I would say is, if Wayne Rooney, I don't want to get sued here. But if, if, Wayne Rooney, do I? <laughs> if Wayne Rooney had had the voracious work ethic of James Acaster, he'd probably still be playing today. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's, that, well, there's that viral video comparing... Oh God, I'm on thin ice here. Ronaldo. <laughs> Certain players that didn't it. take care of themselves, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, who'd be the Steven Gerrard? Carried their club team. How's about Romesh? Yeah. Steven Gerrard, oh, Romesh think... Ranganathan. Well, the reason why I say that is because Romesh is just, you know... Gerard never dipped below eight out of ten. Uh, I mean, you know, Romish is one of these guys. He, mildly interesting trivia. I don't think in the history of always been comedy. I don't think anyone has done the gig more than than than, uh, than honorary president. Of it would be it would be the Romish or Pascal. I think they'd be they'd be top two. Brett Goldstein would be up there as well. And so yeah, uh, Gerard, club legend for many. You know, one of the best. Not for many. Factually, one of the best to ever play for Liverpool. Uh, you know, if you look at like. Thing with Romesh, we sort of take him for granted because he's a brilliant comedian and then he's also effortlessly, I say effortlessly, he also puts a lot of work in, but he's, he's also brilliant at television. Multi-master yes, winner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, would, that would be a good comparison. I think Romesh would be... Right, right that, that is a huge compliment on giving Romesh. He will still be upset that I didn't pick an Arsenal player. How <laughs> many Arsenal players from my old generation? Um, who'd be the Peter Crouch? Fellow podcaster. So I've, I've, I know Peter Crouch uh, a bit from warming up back of the net and uh, a, f a few other things. Peter Crouch is a, a, a diamond of a, a human being. He's a, and he's a, practically think, a comedian in his own right. I was going to say he's <laughs> so plays himself. He's so naturally funny, and also because I think I can say diplomatically that not every not every professional footballer is necessarily a natural comedian, and so Pete, that's why Peter Crouch is he's sort of like a unicorn yeah, out yeah, of all yeah, those yeah. footballers because he's he's. He's incredibly intelligent. He's incredibly eloquent. You know, he's a really good TV presenter. He can sort of, 
he can sort of do everything. So he would be, he was someone that can do, maybe Ashling B, she can do, she can do everything in the way that, uh, in the way that Peter Crouch, Peter Crouch, you know, even when he's doing like acting, he's like, he's even brilliant in sketches and stuff, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, also very popular. I think Ashling would be chuffed with that. Who's Beckham? Well, hang on. I don't think there's any pre. There's no. Now this is the, now this is the thing. The great thing about the golden generation is um, there's so much self doubt to the point of like almost self hatred, right? Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean, whereas Beckham does he suffer from self doubt? No. So I don't know then, because every comedian I know and love has self doubt, overthinks everything. But I think that's what makes it. That's what makes that. That is what makes a, a great comedian. It is. If you, I think. If you're a comedian and you you are not riddled with self doubt, you're probably not a comedian. That is a brilliant way to end the show, James Kilf. Thanks very much. Of always for be comedy. Um, you can't sign up to the newsletter in the show notes, but uh, whatever you do, do not sign up to the newsletter. But we will put all the links to all the things uh, in the uh, in the show notes. Thanks so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thanks ever so much. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship, and the future of work, or some of our more lighthearted takes on TikTok. And of course, our best moments are on YouTube. To find all our socials and best content links, Click on the links in the show notes below.